and welcome to episode 168 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Ben, why did you go to Costco on the morning uh, of Wednesday before Thanksgiving? Because uh, I hadn't gotten the food yet. So I are planning on, on the part of Ben Olson, who had to rec- had to postpone the recording of the Thinking LSAT podcast this morning because he was stuck in line. Tell me, give us the live report, Ben. Not, not live report, but give us the report from Costco on the morning before Thanksgiving. Well, okay, so I had my four boys with me, which range <laughs> from the age of six to fourteen. Okay, and um, you know, the kids and I don't. Well, I don't know. If this is true, or not, but maybe boys in particular, they tend to space out a little bit, so they'll just be standing there, and there's so many people at Costco, and someone's trying to move their cart around wherever. And they're just standing there in their way. And I'm like, hey, you kind of need to get out of the way. Or they'll jump, you know, too, in front of people. Um, We had several near misses. Uh, But yeah, the place was a total zoo. I also got distracted by things that I hadn't bought recently, but thought, oh, it'd be nice to have one of those things. So we bought a tree and I don't know, it just was... um, a very long process. At the same time, we have a ton of food now, so I'm ready for tomorrow. <laughs> nice. Are you like doing actual Thanksgiving dinner? Are you making a turkey? Yes. I bought something from Costco that requires us to cook the turkey, but at the same time, it looked like it was already halfway ready, which I really liked the idea of just stuffing it into the oven and then turning it on. So um, we'll see how that all turns out. I did tell them, I was like, hey, guys, like, it's our Thanksgiving. We can do whatever we want. We don't have to buy this stuff. But some kids did want the turkey and the stuffing, which is good. I like that. But then there was a big demand for ham. So I was like, all right, go get a ham and some other random stuff. So just, excellent. So, yeah. so the Olsen boys are going to be eating well tomorrow on Thanksgiving. They are. Yep. And pumpkin pie and all that stuff. So. <laughs> Delightful. And you got everything at Costco. Everything at Costco. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You are a man after my own heart. That is what I would do too. I would not go to Costco on the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. I imagine that was a fucking zoo. It was. Yeah. yeah. And I would never have four boys uh, in tow. But Um, excellent well done i'm glad you survived uh and i'm glad you made some impulse purchases as well because that's the whole point of costco really so nathan what if you meet like the girl of your dreams and she has four boys like like the brady bunch kind (laughs) of yeah yeah if i meet the girl of my dreams and she has four boys we will cross that bridge when we come to it i i I don't want children of my own, but I could definitely see, um, I mean, you know, I'm a good uncle and I can, I can sometimes like other people's kids. So it's not entirely out of the question that I would fall in love with someone who has kids. Uh, okay. but I will not be having spawn of my own. That is not, uh, something that's in the, in the, in my vision. Okay. Um, <laughs> and if I think about it, me anyway, I would not be dragging four boys to Costco. <laughs> that's just yeah. not gonna happen <laughs> okay let's see uh today on the show we have an annoying email from paypal okay we have a listener whose speed just won't go up exclamation point 
We have an email about someone whose main point strategy isn't working. And we have a polished personal statement from our personal statement review package, which you can learn more about at thinkinglset.com. Before we get into all of the content, just a quick reminder that you can always email the show help at thinkinglset.com. When you do that, please send us your uh, selfies from LSAT studying or from normal life. You can connect with us on the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. We're now up to 1,091 members. While you're doing that, you can give the Thinking LSAT Facebook page a like. You can find us on Twitter at Thinking LSAT is the show. I am at N Fox. Ben is at Olson Benjamin. You can also visit strategyprep.com and foxlsat.com to learn about all of our services, including live classes in DC, LA, San Francisco, and tons of online and one-on-one options. Uh, which brings me to the LSAT Demon, which you can learn more about at lsatdemon.com. Ben, you want to give an update what we've been working on with the Demon? What is the Demon, yeah. Ben, if people don't know? <laughs> the Demon is a tool for you to log in and start doing practice problems from any of the three sections instantly on your phone anywhere. That sounds as good. Soon as you, yeah, it's... Uh, it works. I will say that people log on to, you know, we've seen other online options out there. And when you log in, you have all these different features and different choices and so forth. And the demon is kind of following our style, which is simple and direct. When you log in, you have three choices. You can either do logical reasoning questions, games, or reading comp passages. And you just pick one and you start doing it, and you start answering the questions. And depending on how well you do, the demon decides what questions to give you next. And so it's constantly giving you the kinds of questions that you should be working on in that very moment based on what you've done in the past. Sounds amazing. I see a uh, PSA down here, the screenshot. You want to read that? Sure, yeah. So this was from the Facebook group. It says, just a PSA. I decided to try out the LSAT Demon this week before the November LSAT, and I'm so mad I didn't do it sooner. I finally feel like LR is clicking mainly because of the sheer volume of questions I've been doing and the video explanations. So if you haven't checked it out, I highly suggest it. Nice. Yeah. That was cool to see. Cool. So we'll give more updates about that uh, in subsequent episodes, but LSATdemon.com is the future of the Thinking LSAT podcast, and we strongly encourage you to check out the free trial. Yeah. Oh, this came from me, this annoying email from PayPal. You see this down here on the agenda? Uh, This came from PayPal Working Capital, which is a a, thing where PayPal, if, if you use your payment processing through PayPal, they, you can borrow money from PayPal. But anyway, I saw this. Uh, do you see this line down here where it's got the bold, Ben? Yeah. So here's what it says. Merchants whose revenue grew after taking a PayPal working capital business loan saw revenue increase by 24.4% on average. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Let me read that one more time for the listeners. Ready? This is an LSAT question, y'all. This is, this is an LSAT conclusion right here. And you need to jump all over this bullshit right here. This is, (laughs) this is, this is the game right here. Here it is. Merchants whose revenue grew after taking a PayPal working capital business loan saw revenue increase by 24.4% on average. And the bold 
revenue increase by 24.4% on average. So Ben, doesn't that mean that if I take a PayPal working capital business loan, my revenue will increase by 24.4%? That's exactly what it means. Yeah, you're guaranteed to see that increase. (laughs) I can't believe... I mean, we can talk about the issue with averages, right? Even if you have an average, you can have people way above that and way below that. Well, it could be but one bigger, business that improved and everyone else went down, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what's so awful about this is that the average is not even the average. That's one right? that's, that's one thing that's that's wrong with this. I mean, so the average salary for a lawyer is $100,000, but most lawyers make vastly less than that. And a few lawyers make vastly more than that, right? So yeah, even yeah. though, so citing an average in the first place is already misleading, but there's one thing in here that's even more misleading than that. Yeah. Well, they selectively chose to take the average of merchants whose revenue grew as opposed to merchants who just signed up for the program. So like you said, maybe 98% of the merchants saw their revenue drop, 2% saw them, or 1% saw them stay the same, 1% saw it go up, and of the 1%, they saw a 24.4% average increase. Yep. But that, that number is like could be hugely negative if you looked at all merchants who signed up for the program. Preparing for the LSAT teaches you to think this way. Mm-hmm. And... Thinking this way is going to make you very annoyed by most emails you receive, I would say. Most advertisements, for sure. Yeah. This advertisement is deliberately misleading. It's technically correct. It is. No one could sue them. Right. It is not a lie. They're citing actual data. But merchants whose revenue grew saw an average increase of 24.4%. You have no... No guarantee that your revenue is going to grow. And even if it does grow, your revenue could easily grow negatively. Uh, sorry, no. If it grows, I guess it grows. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, so it, think about this, though. It makes that number look really pretty pathetic. Yeah. I mean, they're cherry picking of the merchants whose revenue grew. Yeah. It only grew by 24.4%. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess a 24% revenue increase is nice. But that's of the people who went up. It's just, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, they are trying to bullshit you. And that is the point of the LSAT logical reasoning. So hopefully, uh, that was useful for the listeners. I I, kind of like the rest of this. This is, this is funny. At PayPal, we believe that strong sales deserve big rewards. What? That's just totally meaningless. Yeah. Anyway, you're on a roll and making some big strides, which means this is the perfect time to apply for another PayPal working capital business loan. The, the, the funny thing is they just, it, this is how lending works, period, right? They always want to lend you money when you don't need money. Mm -hmm. And so that's what PayPal's doing here. You know, I, I did borrow money. This was like a couple years ago. I borrowed some money from PayPal and paid it back Mm -hmm. very quickly. And so now they're like, ooh, can you can we loan you some more money? We would love to loan you some more money. <laughs> and I'm like, no, actually, no. Oh, I, I just figured out. Yeah, this is anyways, we can stop talking about this, but it's basically like they get you with this this um this fake number, fake stat. And then of course they have a picture of a pretty woman, you know, stalking herself. <laughs> yeah. with... Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I would love to see if they like send a different picture to um, 
like they know that I'm a guy, oh, presumably. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they send <laughs> some hot dude to <laughs> to women in his surf, surf shop. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. This is Brianna, by the way. It looks like, wow, they gave her last name, too. You could reach out to her if you wanted to. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to stalk mm-hmm. her on Instagram. Okay. Um, <laughs> you want to move on to this next email? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. The podcast, along with Nathan the Books, has been a lifeline during my LSAT prep. If it weren't for my friend's suggestion that I check out your show, I would have been $1,500 poor sitting in a blueprint course. You have dedicated listeners in Chicago. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I began serious preparation for the LSAT starting in late September by doing one timed 35-minute section three to four times each week, coupled with blind review. It is now November 12th. I have a much better understanding of the test, but I can't seem to get further. Well, he writes farther, hmm. but it should be further. Mm-hmm. Anyways, further than question 15 on LR sections. Don't get me wrong, my accuracy has skyrocketed since taking your advice and I can get through the first 15 questions with zero to one questions missed. I know what I'm about to ask is thinking LSAT taboo, but why am I not getting any faster? I want to be able to trust myself when I select an answer, but I can't help running through the logic of each answer choice to make sure I haven't missed anything. I'm trying to slow down to speed up but I think I'm just slowing down. I plan on taking my first full-length practice test at the end of November, but I don't want to psych myself out if I can't get through half of the LR sections. I want to sit for the January 2019 LSAT, but I don't feel prepared. Is it too early in the game to panic? No, no, it's never too early. You can always panic now. (laughs) (laughs) Are timed sections truly the most effective use of my three to four days of the week? Am I out of line here? Thank you for your help. Best. Novice. That's that's the name they gave themselves. Interesting. So side note about panicking too early. My uh, best buddy in high school who ended up being my college roommate, he was a football player. We were kind of like the odd couple a little bit. But this uh, this dude would vomit on the field before every football game because he was so nervous. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. People give him a hard time for that. Call him vomit. Vomit Joe. <laughs> no one called him anything because he was a giant fucking monster and he would kill you if uh, you tried to fuck with him. But um, you're like, hey, cool, man. Let me vomit too. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be just like you. <laughs> no. So it's never too early in the game to panic. You can even panic before the game. That's, that's, uh, that's ideal. Anyway, that's ideal. <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry for okay. the interruption. Cool. What do you, no, uh, you want to offer some thoughts here? Yeah. So a couple of things. I think novice is a little onto something here. Novice says, I want to be able to trust myself when I select an answer, but I can't help running through the logic of each answer choice to make sure I haven't missed anything. I think you're already onto one of your weaknesses. You're not feeling confident about the answer that you're choosing. And so, or, or you're not, or for some reason you feel the need to double check the wrong answers. So either you're not predicting well enough or you are, but for whatever reason you want to go through the process of proving why a wrong answer is wrong. I would say that there's a lot of times on the test where I've predicted an answer. I get to answer choice A and I'm like, all right, I'm not totally sure what that says, but that's not what I'm 
looking for. So then I sometimes I cross it out if it seems really bad. Sometimes if it seems like it might be okay, I don't cross it out, but I just kind of move on. Because if I read answer choice B and it's what I'm looking for and it makes sense and D, C, D, and E are clearly wrong, then I never worry about A again. I'm just like, well, I'm not too sure what that said. And if you want to talk about it after the test is over, that's fine. But I understand what B is saying. It's what I was looking for. That's the answer. I'm done and I'm moving on. It sounds like maybe novice is going back and trying to get to the point where novice could explain exactly why answer choice A is wrong to someone after the fact, but you don't need to do that during the test. Right. And I want to, so that's, that's exactly right. That novice just needs to build confidence. The way novice is going to get there is by doing more of the same. This is a great Mm -hmm. start, I would say, right? Like I want to give novice a high five for following our advice. Uh, time section three or four times a week coupled with blind review. And that was from late September through November 12. So what is that? Six weeks, Mm -hmm. six weeks, right? Yeah. Well, how long do most people prepare for the LSAT? Some people do it in two months. Some people do it in three months, but some people spend six months. So, right. And novice has quite a way to go, you know, I mean, some people start off getting 20 questions correct on logical reasoning. Yeah. That's not novice. Novice is maybe a little bit of a slower reader. But the fact that novice has reached this high accuracy on the first 15 means that I'm not worried at all about novice's ability. Mm-hmm. Novice says, are timed sections truly the most effective use of my time three to four days of the week? Um, yes. And can you do more than a timed section three to four days a week. I mean, that's the yeah. minimum that we're looking for. Yeah, that's you're, you're taking a light, <laughs> a light approach, which is good because most people do the opposite. They overburden themselves, but you could easily supplement that plan, which is a good plan with a few extra practice problems from the demon, for example, that would be a great way to fill in gaps of time throughout your day and on the other non days that you're studying, right? Yeah. And mix in a full test on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, a couple times a month. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it's like, I I don't know why novice is making this like weird false dichotomy between timed sections and full practice tests, by the way. Yeah. This whole, there sounds like there's way too much buildup for the full length test that's coming at the end of November. Like actually novice, you should just sit down and do a full one right now. You need to get over the idea that it's a big deal to sit down and do a full length. Everybody should sit down and do a full length test right now. Like look at your calendar and figure out when you can afford two and a half hours and sit down and do a full test. And if, if you can't find two and a half hours sometime in the next week, then this is probably not the right time for you to be thinking about law school. You you got to decide. You got to get to a point in your life where this is going to be your priority. If you, honestly, if you can't find two and a half hours in an entire fucking seven days, this is not going to work out for you. You know, you yep. you've got to get to that point in your life where you're willing to make this your priority. Uh, you have to take it seriously. So novice has been taking it seriously, but it sounds like novice has done basically one test a week, maybe not even because three to four 
sections a week. Yeah. Right. For six for weeks. Six weeks. So novice has done five or six tests and doesn't know why he or she isn't improving faster. Well, novice, you have done an awesome job so far, but what you've done is dip your toe in the water. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you know, this is not going to be a magical miracle instant improvement. You're, you're not going from 15 questions to 20 questions overnight. This is going to take a serious, diligent effort. So yeah, you're going to have to keep doing what you've been doing for a longer time, which means you're might, you might not be ready by the time the January 2019 test rolls around. I don't know. Or you're going to have to up your game a little bit. You're just going to have to work harder. Yep. And you know, if you've like Ben said, add the demon also consider doing more than just three or four time sections a week. Also definitely. Yeah. Mix in full tests at the beginning of your prep. There's just no reason not to be doing full tests once in a while from the beginning of your prep, but, but please don't try to go faster. Yeah. Right. The, the speed improvement is going to be incremental. It's going to be accidental. You're going to, you're going to stay focused on accuracy but the questions are going to just seem easier and easier and easier because you've put in more and more reps. Mm-hmm. You're going to start predicting the answers instead of passively checking the answer choices to try to find the answer. Next thing you know, you're going to be done with question 15 and you still have time left. So you do question 16. And if you yep. could get to like one more question every two weeks, you know, like, Maintain your accuracy, but get to two more questions per month. And you do that for three months. And next thing you know, you have a life-changing amount of LSAT improvement. And it's been easy the entire way because you've stayed focused on high accuracy. Yeah. You agree with that prescription? I agree with it. Perfect. Add in a little melatonin and you're good to go. <laughs> How is that candy dish? Is that going to be, are you putting melatonin uh, as a topping on your pumpkin pie? <laughs> Do you give the boys uh, well, melatonin? At least for the kids portion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey kids, <laughs> it's time for bed. <laughs> at least it's not like Benadryl or something, right? You got to balance out all that sugar from the pumpkin pie mm-hmm. with some yeah. Benadryl melatonin cocktail. <laughs> Is this being recorded? (laughs) (laughs) Your kids, yeah, they better stay healthy or else they're going to, this podcast is going to be in the, in a court of law one of these days. Yeah. Okay. It's time for our feature, Ben. You want to, you want to take it? Sure. So weekly pearls versus turds. You want to say where we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. This is where we hear like, um, some advice that was, I don't know, gathered from somewhere. Maybe um, somewhere on the internet or in an email. I don't know if people sent this in or what, but some piece of advice was thrown at the podcast and we have to decide whether it's a pearl or a turd. Yeah, this is received scare quotes wisdom. I'm doing the scare quotes in the air right now. You can't see me, but received Mm. wisdom about the LSAT and we're going to tell you whether it's actually wisdom or bullshit. Okay, so... This one says, it's all. It's always one sentence, I think, right? Um, the written portion of the LSAT is huge. Okay, already I'm starting to vomit. For scholarship considerations. 
Where? What? <laughs> Are these always going to be turds, by the way? <laughs> well, we're two for two. We have to keep a running count, maybe. Yeah. But so okay. far, it's turds two, pearls zero in the weekly pearls in. versus turds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, the written portion of the LSAT is basically irrelevant for scholarship considerations. I mean, I... I suppose it's theoretically possible that some really stupid school might be giving scholarships that way, but they would be really stupid if they were doing that. Wouldn't they, Ben? Yeah. Like why, why would they give so much weight to something that was written in 35 minutes? No, the scholarship is, is mostly comes down to your LSAT score and your GPA because that's what affects their law school ranking. Now, I could definitely see your personal statement affecting how they feel about you as a candidate in the future. Like they're looking at your LSAT score and your GPA to decide right here and now if they accept you and give you money to entice you to come, what's their immediate benefit? Um, I think the personal statement is more anticipated future benefit. Like if this sir if this person seems like they've got their act together, then the personal statement might convince them of that and then they say, "Oh, we should give them money because they're going to reflect well on the school in the future." It's a much smaller consideration, but it's something that I still think would persuade them to pick you over maybe someone else who has similar LSAT and GPA numbers. Yeah, the the purpose of law school scholarships is to enhance the ranking of the school to attract more non-scholarship students. Yep. It's a business. They try they are trying to make money. These scholarships for law school are not need-based. This is completely different from how undergraduate works. I I still tell people that and I can't believe it when I hear from people all the time. I had a phone call this week with someone who was like, oh, but scholarships, I mean, I, you know, my parents make too much money. And I'm like, you don't understand how this game works at all. Yep. You need our help badly if that's your impression of law school scholarships. Law school scholarships, mm -hmm. they are trying to attract students whose LSAT and GPA could get them into a better school. And they know that you'll go to a better school if they don't give you a scholarship. So they give you a scholarship so they can get other people to pay. Yep. And the written portion of the LSAT has nothing to do with that. I mean, they're really going to, they're going to give somebody a scholarship who has like mediocre LSAT and GPA because, Oh boy, this, that's the best writing sample I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't think they're even doing that with the personal statement or the letters of recommendation or the resume or any other thing. I mean, they're giving you a scholarship because of your numbers yeah. or at least 95% of their analysis is based on yep. your numbers. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Pearl zero turds two in the pearls versus turds. Okay. You got this next one? I do. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Thanks for doing the Thinking LSAT podcast. I've found it very helpful. Exclamation point. Two spaces between Whoa. sentences. If you talk about... Sorry, can I just interrupt and talk about that for a half second? Yeah. <laughs> Since I think it was Samantha and I went back and forth on this uh, topic on the Facebook group for quite a while. I feel like this is the most convincing argument to not use two spaces I challenge all of our listeners to pick up anything that's published and tell me whether they're using one space or two spaces. I'm not talking about something that you've written for a professor 
or that a professor has written for you. I'm talking about something that's been published. I don't care whether it's a law review article, whether it's a brochure. I just want to know, was it published formally for some organization or publisher? And did they use one space or two space? And I don't think I've ever seen anything that's actually published that used two spaces. Yeah, It's only unpublished writers who insist on using two spaces. I picked up the first book here that is at hand. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, well, one thing is it's full justified. Whoa, that's weird. No, I think all published books are full justified. Oh, by full justified, do you mean justified left? I mean. Oh, they are. They are full justified. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Books are full yeah, yeah, justified. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Which your personal which statement like, should not but, be. But <laughs> yeah. So that might have something to do with it. But looking at the full justified layout here, it certainly looks like one space, not two spaces between the sentences. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just undercut my argument by saying I don't like full justified, which is what all published books do. (laughs) I'm going to crawl back into my shell now and let's continue reading this great email. (laughs) Hey, you're, we are, we're, we're reality based here. We do a lot of random speculating and we're happy to have our hypotheses shut down, right? I mean, yeah. that's shot down, shut down, whatever. We, we're, it's not embarrassing to make an argument that fails. That's what lawyers do all the time. You, but you have to, you have to accept it too, right? You have to be, because I mean, yeah. what you could do if you were, <laughs> the embarrassing thing would be if you were like, yeah, but still. That's a, like if you stuck to your guns on that argument, you know, so, but no, you'll, you'll move on to some other, other reason why not to use two spaces. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it's one space between sentences. Uh, okay. Thanks for doing the thinking else that podcast. I've found it very helpful. If you talk about this on the show, please refer to me as Geralt. All right. Geralt. I've been studying for a few months now and am doing timed sections to practice. I've run into an issue a couple of times that has caused me to miss a couple of main point questions, even though I am doing pretty well on the LR section as a whole. I've been doing the Seven Sage core curriculum and their strategy for MP questions is to find the conclusion as it is expressed in the stimulus and then look for the paraphrased conclusion in the answers. I mean, strategy-wise, like, yeah, you predict the answer, Mm -hmm. and then you go find it. Yep. Okay. For these questions, though, my understanding was that the conclusion is more or less explicitly stated in the stimulus. Mm, Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, I'd say 90% of the time. However, I've run into a couple of questions now that required pushing together parts of the stimulus. I've gotten these questions wrong because I chose answers instead that did not require this additional level of inference. I just got a question wrong in prep test 39 that I think is a good illustration of this. It's section two, question one. Um, We can't do the question on the show though. We can't, but I'm going to make a prediction here. Okay. I think so in most cases, the vast majority of cases, the conclusion, the main conclusion of the argument in logical reasoning is explicitly stated in the argument when they ask you for the main conclusion of the argument, when that's the question. But there are certainly cases when it's not. And when it's not, I've found that the argument tends to give you the opinion of someone else. 
And then the author goes on to provide evidence against that opinion, making it quite clear that the author thinks that those people are wrong, but the author never times never takes the time to explicitly say so. So the main conclusion is not explicitly said, but if you say, hey, these people think this and here's evidence against that, then the main conclusion is whatever they think, the opposite of whatever those other people think, or at least that they're wrong. So my guess, I have 39 in front of me right now. I do now. too. I'm looking at the question. I mean, I have a prediction here for what the answer should say. Yeah, this is, um, this is an interesting one. This one does tell us what someone else said, but it's actually asking for the conclusion of that person. Of what they said. Yeah. 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 And this one does require you to think about what they must be thinking given the premises that they gave. So you have to infer the conclusion from their statements, but I don't know. It doesn't seem that challenging. If someone said these two claims together, they obviously relate to each other and you're, it's seems pretty clear what they're trying to prove from that. Well, this is, I mean, this, this listener picked a, which is a garbage answer. How, well, what they did is they picked they picked a premise. Yeah, and I mean I'm not even sure it's a premise. It's half of a premise. Yeah, it's it's I think it's a misstatement of a premise. I mean the judge is the judge has stated that there's nothing badly wrong with the legal system. Or else. Right. Badly wrong is not the same thing as nothing much you know, nothing badly wrong is not the same thing as nothing much wrong. Yeah. So already, I don't even think A is a must be true according to the premises, which would be a way of avoiding A, which if you're when you really get talented at the test. Right. So it sounds like this listener has one way of getting there that they got from Seven Sage. Mm-hmm. But no way in hell Ben or I would have picked the A for a couple different reasons. My prediction was. Whether an administrative decision by a government minister is reasonable is a question that judges should be well-equipped to answer. Mm -hmm. C says judges are qualified to decide upon the reasonableness of a government minister's administrative decision. That's almost exactly what I predicted. Isn't that what you predicted, Ben? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, so I think what happened to this listener, one, you're not good enough at, at predicting you, you know, you didn't notice the normative thing here. The word should is a big conclusion indicator. Not, not to say that that's always the conclusion, but the word should frequently is the conclusion. I mean, why is this justice saying that s- such and such should or should not be? And the rest of what the justice says is evidence for that conclusion. So that's the conclusion. The part that has the should in it is the conclusion here, unsurprisingly. Yeah. A, the answer choice A doesn't say should. C doesn't say the word should, but it certainly is. I mean, it should be well equipped to answer, right? That's the same as saying you're qualified. Same as saying you're qualified. Right. So C is, I mean, again, my, my prediction was whether some administrative decision by a government minister is reasonable is a question that judges should be well equipped to answer. And the answer, judges are qualified to decide upon the reasonableness of this decision. So I'm, I'm a bit confused there. Um, I think you didn't make a good enough prediction, Geralt. 
And I think you also picked an answer that one is a premise, not the conclusion, and two misstates a premise. Yeah. So there's like three different ways, I think, that you could have not missed that question. Now, this comes back to something I feel like is a fundamental skill in logical reasoning and the test in general. When you read a sentence, you want to understand what that sentence is saying, but you also want to understand how it relates to anything that you've read previously. And it feels like this listener has taken the seven sage advice too far and let go of thinking about how the sentences relate to each other. Because if you read the first, it's actually all just one sentence, but if you, if you read the ideas that are presented and then as you read each idea and think about how, what it's saying and how it relates to what you've already read, you, your mind would be screaming to you the conclusion here because the last two ideas that are presented make it quite clear that the first idea is something that the author believes in, right? If you're just reading each of these in isolation, then yeah, you might not jump to the conclusion, but you want to think about, okay, I know what's being said right now and how does that relate to what I've already said? Does it relate? And if it does, what must be true given that? Yeah, I'm I'm noticing that Geralt also picked the last thing that was said in the in the passage. Isn't it the second to last thing, maybe? Because mm, well, the there is little reason to suppose, you know, there is not. There's not oh, what. There's not words, something badly wrong. He's compo- he's um combining. So he's combining the two premises, but that's it. That's weird because if you did, you'd say, "Oh, well then that must not be true. There's, or the conclusion is true. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Well, also, Geralt, if you thought the conclusion was there's nothing badly wrong with the legal system, okay, where is the judge's evidence for that conclusion? If you're going to pick something and say this is the conclusion, mm-hmm. then there has to be evidence in the passage to support that conclusion. But there is no evidence for there's nothing much wrong with the legal system. There's, there just is no evidence that says there's nothing much wrong with the legal system. That's a premise of the justice's argument. So if you're going to, I mean, maybe that's a double check for you because you just can't miss question number one. If you're not sure whether it's a premise or a conclusion, if you're going to, before you vouch for it, before you say, oh yeah, this is their conclusion, you might want to look at, find, find the premises in support of that conclusion to make sure that that really is what they're trying to conclude. Because here, that was definitely just a premise of the argument. There, there is no evidence presented for A. You know what the problem here is? He's taking their advice from main conclusion questions, which is fine if you look at that by itself. But he read the question stem first. That was my first thought, Ben. That's, like, that's exactly what I thought, was that he read the question stem first and then just tried to game it rather than understanding the actual argument. Where's the conclusion explicitly stated? I don't see where it's explicitly stated. Can't find the answer. Yep. Now I'm floundering. As opposed to just read and understand what this person is saying. And you'd be like, oh, well, you think X. Hmm. What's the question asking me? Oh, the main point? That's all I have to do here? Well, that's X. Yep. Great example of why reading the question stem first hurts you, not helps you. Yeah. Um, not only that, but A supports C. C does not support A. If you understood the justice's argument, C is supported by A. A is a premise in support of C. So the answer is C, not A. Yeah. 
Okay. I moving on through Geralt's. Uh, am I missing something here or approaching these questions incorrectly? Or has this question type changed on the more recent tests? No, that question is perfectly indicative of what you're likely to see on the modern test. Um, that's not even that old of a test, prep test 39. I also had a couple of other questions. One, when doing logic games, should you check all of the answers? It feels natural for me to check all of the answers, even though I know it slows me down. The advantage to doing this from what i can tell is that it lets you see if you've made an incorrect slash incomplete inference in the game or did the setup wrong i've been able to catch a couple of errors i've made when going through all of the answer choices what do you think about that ben i don't necessarily think that's a problem my general rule of thumb is that if the game is very easy and i feel very confident about it then i'm not going to be checking all of the answers if a game is a little more challenging then i actually may check all of the answers at first as I'm getting comfortable with the rules and making sure I did understand it from what I thought I did. And so then like on question number one or question number two, at least for that game, I am checking all all the answers and wow, yeah, all of them conform to what I expect. And there's only one correct answer. This seems to be making sense. I seem to be on the right path. By the end of that game, I might not be checking all the answers. I might be saying, okay, I feel good about this game now. Yep. So it really comes down to how confident I feel that I understand the rules. Certain questions, like you said, Ben, number one, if it's a list question or an acceptability mm-hmm. question, you probably have mm-hmm. to do that question by process of elimination. So you're necessarily going to be checking all the rules against all the answer choices to make sure you really understand the game. Yep. So that one, you're always going to do it that way. Um, other questions, especially must be trues and must be falses. It, the correct answer could just be an inference that you might have made at the beginning of the game. Or it mm-hmm. might be an inference that you've made halfway through the game where you're like, oh, yeah, this always has to be true. You know, I, yep. I combined the rules together. J before K, K before L, which one of the following must be true? J before L, no shit, right? Mm-hmm. In that case, I'm good enough at the games that I would just pick it and move on. For Geralt, if you're ever missing questions that you attempted on the logic games, that's a pretty good sign that you probably should be checking all five, Yeah, right? For, for, sure. for other listeners at higher levels, if you like never miss questions that you attempted, well, then your confidence should be building. And maybe on certain questions, you're just going to know what the answer is. And at that point, on certain types of questions, it can be really, especially on must be trues and must be falses, it can be really hard to eliminate the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. So if you are 99.9% sure that this thing must be true, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you're going to just say, okay, that's the answer and move on. Yeah. But that's only permissible when you've already achieved very high accuracy on the games. Yeah. I mean, your accuracy on the games should be 99% on questions attempted, right? Yeah. Okay. If not a hundred, like when, <laughs> when someone gets something wrong in the games, it's like, what, what happened on questions that you attempted? Yeah. You just, yes. you can't yeah. miss questions that you attempted. Yeah. Number two, For the reading comprehension question type that asks you to append an additional sentence onto the end of the last paragraph, is there a particular type of strategy that you recommend for this type? I've been treating this type like a most strongly supported and looking for more softly stated answer choices, but I still find this question type rather difficult. Sometimes the correct answer is more powerfully worded than I would have expected. Hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, you're just looking for something. I mean, that's actually not a bad approach. I would just consider it like a must-be-true question. You're just saying, hey, what must be true given everything that this author has said? Uh, The correct answer, oddly enough, 
is going to just say something that's already been said or something that must be true given what was said, despite the fact that they're looking for an additional sentence. I think the fact that they're looking for an additional sentence to add to the last paragraph of the passage makes people think, oh, I've got to have something new. But that's never how they do this. They're just asking you to <laughs> say something that is 100% consistent with what the author has already said, which means it's either going to restate what the author has already said or be something that must be true given everything that the author has said. And it's never something new. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. Well, I'm, I think he sounds like he's approaching it the right way. Well, except that you need more than just answer choice strength to answer a, a must be true question. Yeah. Like that's something to be aware of, but the fact that this is your main concern is concerning. If that's the only thing you're saying here is I'm just looking for softly stated answer choices. Well, I could softly state an answer choice that was not stated, not supported by the passage at all. I mean, it could be the, sure. the world's softest statement. You know, the, the sun might sometimes come up in the morning. Okay, but that's not supported by this passage. So it is not the answer. So if all you're doing is going in looking for answer choice strength, I mean, did someone tell you to just not even read the passage and just only go in and look for answer <laughs> choice strength? Well, because those are turds that are out there that, you know, yeah. oh, you don't need to comprehend. You can just skim the questions and just for this type of question, you don't even need to, you don't even need to read the passage. I have no idea what Seven Sage says about reading comprehension, but I mean, it, if, if all you're doing is looking for answer choice strength, you're definitely doing it wrong. You need to pick an answer that is in line with the main point of the passage and that has support somewhere in the passage. And as a secondary concern, if you narrow it down to two, you can start thinking about answer choice strength. Or as you're going through the answer choices, you can be extra suspicious of something that's very strongly worded. But suspicious does not mean it's out. If the passage justifies a strongly worded answer, then the answer very well might be strongly worded. I mean, content is what you should be thinking about first here, not answer choice strength. Yeah. People need to stop doing Seven Sage, Ben. They need to stop. That you, you, everybody should stop doing Seven Sage and use our shit instead. I, I realize it's self-serving to say this, but it's also true. So, <laughs> well, it is. You can, you can be biased and true. Yes, I am. Time. I am biased. I am fully acknowledging my own bias. I, I make money by giving this advice. And it's also true advice. Our shit is better. Amen. All right. Thanks, girl, for writing in. Yep. You got this next one? Yeah. Anonymous initial questions. Why? Okay. Number one, why you? What's, wait, what is this? Is this a question from some, I don't understand. Oh, these are the anonymous initial questions. This is from the, from our personal statement review package, Ben. Oh, we're going to, oh, got it. We're going to read got it, got it. anonymous. I was so lost. <laughs> okay. So when people sign up for a personal statement package, we ask them these two questions, they answer them. And then out of this, I think we should skip the two statement. questions and just go straight to the personal statement. I think we should, because that's what someone would hear if they read the, that's what an admissions officer would read, right? They would just yeah. read the personal statement. How many, but how many back and forths did you, did we have on this statement? I don't know. They all seem like, I feel like it's between 40 and 60 for everybody, right? We're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And sometimes things get worse, right? 
And it's like, what, what are you going with this? And then, it, and then it's like, you start to hit the, the diamond in the rough. And these statements are so dramatically different in my opinion, it's from what they started. The, the person sounds like a different person. It's a complete like, wow. transformation, it, not just in the writing, but also in the content. Oh, and that's the key, right? It's both the content and the writing. I think sometimes people think that we're just here to spruce up their their writing. They're, the you know the, We get these emails from people who are like, hey, I have a personal statement. It's pretty much there. <laughs> I just need someone to look over it. I'm like, oh my God, that is... Okay, you, kiss of death. You really want us to start looking at it because it's going. We're going to tell you how it all needs to be redone, <laughs> or this part of it needs to be expanded, and then that's actually going to become your personal statement. It's never the case that's I'm well, not never, but it's rarely the case that someone's personal statement is on point when it comes to content. I, I just don't feel like that has happened very often. No, it it all there's always things that need to be cut. There's cut, frequently cut, the cut, entire thing needs re-written. to be cut. Yeah. And then sometimes people are on with content, but you know, the example, I hope it's okay to share this, but, um, someone was writing something the other day and they had said, Hey, our organization is, is, was several hundred dollars in debt. And you pointed out to them that that did not make it seem very problematic, right? A couple hundred dollars, like this is small potatoes, but we just took that out. We just said the organization was in debt and it sounds so much better. Absolutely. I mean, anyways, so sometimes you have the right content, but you're still just not expressing it in the right way. You need at the same time. So many people don't have the right content. Yeah. You need heartless. You've said this before. You need heartless (laughs) killers to read your personal statement. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're on your team and we want to help you. But the way we help you is by just brutally attacking everything you have to say. And yeah. we're, cause we're doing that not because we don't believe you. We're doing that because we know other people won't believe you. And we're going to be your attorney here and we're going to say, Hey, you don't say that. <laughs> you say something else. You know, mm-hmm. you say, you say that in a different way or you say more of this and you say a hell of a lot less of that. But anyway, we went back and forth on this a bazillion times in a shared Google document and I'm really excited about how it turned out. So yeah, who's reading it? I think you are. I read girls. Oh, okay. Sure. No problem. In 2009, I got a call from a representative at KeyBank who was seeking syndicates to finance the development of a 27-story, 570,000-square-foot Class A office building in downtown Phoenix. Naively, I ignored the fact that we were in the midst of perhaps the greatest recession in history, with office vacancy at an all-time high and lease rates at record lows. The feasibility of such a large development was low. The origination of new transactions wasn't even an underwriter's responsibility. But I was convinced that the transaction had merit and overconfident in my abilities. I disregarded the advice of my direct manager and brought the opportunity to the real estate director. He was direct. I lacked experience in corporate credibility. I was also unable to communicate such an undertaking adequately. Back in my office, I began pulling market reports, making calls to brokers who specialize in the downtown market, and conducting financial due diligence on the potential transaction. Better prepared, I revisited the director the following week. I summarized the opportunity, described the transaction risks, and identified how they might be mitigated. As I exited his office, I was confident that I had made the right decision. 
Days later, the director scheduled a meeting with me and my manager, a senior banker. The director asked me to summarize the opportunity to my manager, introduce her to the syndicated loan lending manager at Key Bank, and help her evaluate the opportunity further. Over the ensuing weeks, I underwrote the transaction. Because Cityscape was being developed during one of the worst economic downturns the state of Arizona had experienced, the underwriting was subject to elevated scrutiny. I spent weeks analyzing the character, expertise, and financial ability of the parties involved. I reviewed the budget and worked out our internal team, worked with our internal team to ensure that the third-party reports were satisfactory. I read through numerous operating agreements and contracts to ensure that we understood the legal structure of the ground lease, construction contract, and LLC agreements. When the underwriting was complete, we went before our credit committee. My efforts helped secure an initial 10 million share, which was later increased to 25 million, of the 149 million construction loan. Our involvement bridged the debt shortfall and completed the syndication. Today, at 1 East Washington, Washington Street in downtown Phoenix stands Cityscape, a bustling office building that has become the epicenter of the downtown area. As the underwriter of the transaction, I earned the opportunity to work with a reputable senior banker who coached me through the underwriting of a complex transaction in a highly scrutinized environment. After the Cityscape transaction, my role expanded. I began to underwrite complete transactions for all types of assets, including hotels, medical office buildings, apartments, and retail developments with high-profile clients. Years later, I became a banker with an office on the 14th story of Cityscape. Although I have underwritten, originated, and sourced over $1 billion in commercial loans, the financing of Cityscape was the most rewarding. In the years since, I have become an expert in commercial real estate finance and have expanded into specialty finance renewable energy, and infrastructure lending. As my career has progressed, I have become increasingly involved in the legal aspects of banking, particularly the documentation of the transactions that I finance. With each transaction, I must review and negotiate title commitments, utility agreements, lease and sales contracts, and operating agreements. In many cases, I must rely on an attorney to document the terms reached in my loan commitment. This process is one of the most important aspects of any transaction, and the one that I enjoy most. After earning my law degree, I plan to use my banking experience and legal education to pursue a career in this specialized line of corporate finance. This person clearly has experience and knows what they're getting into and will succeed. Yeah. And that's what you want to leave them with. I mean, if you have that experience, you want to play that up. Mm -hmm. I think if I recall correctly, he came to us sort of worried about seeming one dimensional, Mm. seeming like boring. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it's like, I think many of our listeners probably were going to sleep while during your reading of that personal statement. Sure. Because they're like underwriting. Oh my God. Loans. What? Commercial lending. What? Yeah. Well, I don't want to do that. You know, and it's like, well, you might not have any clue what lawyers actually do. Like lawyers who make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lawyers who make money do this stuff. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to, 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 you know, really highlight 
you actually figure out like it, 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 I mean, it's not as dry as I'm making that out to be. It, it is a story mm-hmm. of, there's an arc to it, which people like overly do, right? Where he, he showed up with, I fucked up mm-hmm. in the first paragraph. Yeah. But which is, which is generally people overdo that. They, they like just are constantly talking about their failures and not talking enough about their successes. Yeah. But this is a great example of showing yourself in your role, showing what you do by telling a story. And yeah, it's self-deprecating in the very first line where it was like, I was naive, but what happened was he got shut down at first. Then he mm-hmm. did more research. Then he ended up selling it. And then I just love the detail of him actually having an office on the 14th story of this building that arguably wouldn't have happened without him. Mm-hmm. The writing here is just leagues ahead of where it was when we saw it or any previous draft we saw. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to yeah. say about it. Yeah. I mean, as I was reading through it, there were still things that I would tweak, but it's so much further than where it was. And that's the thing is sometimes people have, a good story to share, but they, the way they share it starts undermining their credibility. I mean, it's the same problem that we had with the other statement that we read on here that was good. It just comes across as too boastful or something. And then all of a sudden you walk away with this negative feeling rather than, wow, you're serious. You're credible. You have experience when you come here, you're going to work hard and do well at our law school and you're going to go on and do good things. That's the kind of person we want to admit because we know that you'll succeed and make the most of the seat that we're giving you. Yeah, a hundred percent. I should pile on to that with, I think naturally many of our listeners, especially those that are, you know, 21 years old are going to be, um, thinking, but I have not financed a billion dollars in, you know, I have not helped to underwrite a billion dollars in commercial real estate loans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a billion dollars of commercial real estate loans. You can certainly tell stories from other things you've done, including college, that demonstrate your skills. That said, people with professional experience like this do stand out. I mean, you, you're kidding yourself. If you think that this guy is not better equipped than most 21 year olds to practice law. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> I mean, we'll see what his LSAT is and I don't know what his GPA is. And, you know, you're competing on other factors besides your experience. But when you have professional experience like this, oh my God, do you need to make it? You just got to talk about this type of experience. And mm-hmm. if you're 21 and if you legitimately don't have anything, compelling to write about then i don't know what do you have to go to law school right now yeah why why wouldn't you go work in the real world for a little while so that you can go into law school better prepared i mean i think you'll get more out of law school it the more you bring to it Mm -hmm. so real world experience and and you know figuring out what lawyers are actually going to do in the real world, figuring out something that you could do in the real world if you weren't a lawyer mm-hmm. can certainly help you 
to one, decide whether you want to go to law school, but two, also make a better case for yourself once you do decide. Yeah. I get a lot of like, but I've already taken a gap year. You know, I'm already, <laughs> but I'm already taking a gap year. I just, I'm worried that two gap years is going to hurt my, my law school admission case. Mm-hmm. It's like, this guy has been working in banking for a decade and that is absolutely helping his admission case a hundred percent. I guess I wanted to point out, I mean, so I have so many things I want to say. I got a personal statement from a, a student of mine who, you know, just had me read a draft. And she had been out of school for like 20 years and she was trying to talk about college. Mm. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. (laughs) How are you? You've been in the professional world for 20 years and you don't think that like you don't want to talk about your professional experience. You're trying to stand out from a bunch of 21 year olds. You don't want to talk about your professional experience. That's ridiculous. Yeah. They're also going to wonder what have you been doing if you don't talk about it. Right. 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 The other thing I want to talk about here is just all of the showing that's going mm-hmm. on here and to give mm-hmm. to, because we give so many examples of bad stuff. Yeah. I want to point out what showing looks like. I'm looking at the paragraph that says over the ensuing weeks, I underwrote the transaction. Yep. I'm just noticing that sentence. I underwrote the transaction. Two sentences later, I spent weeks analyzing so Mm -hmm. notice he's not diligently analyzing he's not well we have to fucking point this out right he's not he's not doing a detailed analysis he's not analyzing and relentlessly analyzing you know he's it instead i spent weeks analyzing these things or worse my the attention to detail that i developed through my experience right Underwrite. Oh, you, you, you developed an attention to detail. Oh, my commitment and dedicated long hours. Yeah. The, the analysis that I completed, you know, taught me about (laughs) and then making the analysis be the subject of the sentence, right? Instead, the subject of the sentence here is I, I mean, it's over and over and over. I spent weeks doing, I reviewed, I read through, Mm -hmm. Um, we went before our credit committee. Our My involvement ep- bridged the debt shortfall. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you did things. And so then we conclude from this that you are a hard worker, that you can take on big projects. That's the thing about, you know how they say a picture is a thousand words? Showing is a thousand conclusions. Yeah, You show us this and we're like, okay, you must do this. You must be good at this. You must have strong worth ethic. You must be smart. You must be committed. You must be um, able to learn from mistakes instead of you telling us that. I've learned so much from my mistakes. Really? That's so awesome. (laughs) The other thing is, do you remember at the end of this, this whole last paragraph is connecting Mm -hmm. his work with his desire to go to law school and his plan? None, I don't. I I have this memory that none of this was there. I remember um, there was like one sentence that alluded to some legal document, and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, tell us more about your legal experience." And then this paragraph came from that discussion, and it's like, "Wow, this all makes sense. You know what you're doing, 
but this is why you want to now pivot and go into law school as opposed to just, I'm so amazing at this. Why, why in the heck are you leaving it? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but I mean, it's also clear that he's not really entirely leaving it. He's, he's transitioning, he's transitioning into yeah. a different role, but the, the most powerful part of it is probably as my career has progressed, I have become increasingly involved in the legal aspects of banking particularly the documentation of the transactions that I finance. And then it goes on, it like provides evidence for that because that's a bit conclusory, right? With each transaction, I must review and negotiate title commitments, utility agreements, lease and sales contracts, and operating agreements. And it's like, you have just highlighted an increasing interest in and involvement with lawyer shit. Yeah. And and you show it by telling us what you do, not by saying, I've learned so much about the legal aspects of finance. Oh, you have? Wow. I guess we'll just have to believe that you've learned those things. Right. It's now showing. we don't have to believe it. Right. Yeah. It's showing instead of telling. For for people out there who are going to take a couple years off, you know, um, it, it is really, if you're interested in lawyer shit, you need to start getting yourself involved in lawyer shit. And because like at your, at like, let's say you get an internship or let's say you become a paralegal or a legal secretary or whatever it is, you know, even volunteer shit. Yeah. I want to hear, I don't want to hear the moment you decided to become a lawyer. I don't want to hear who you want to help or why they're struggling. I don't want to hear all the great, like lawyers are so important because X, Y, Z. I want to hear about your involvement in this business. I want, I want to hear that you have been doing this work. And even if it's only for a year at some internship, that's fine. But I want to see you have taken steps in this direction and you continue taking steps in this direction, like more steps in this direction, like further, right? Like you get into it and you don't immediately bounce off of it, yeah. which is what they're concerned you're going to do if you're 21 years old and you know, have no legal experience, no legal background, never worked in a law office. You know, they're going to be like, man, I'm worried that this kid is going to just get to our school and realize what this is and just bounce out of here. Yeah. And instead you, you show them that it does not have to be a 10 year banking career. But if you can show them that you have been on this path and continuing on the path and you know what you're getting yourself into and you just can't wait to get further into it by showing instead of telling, then you absolutely need to put that into your personal statement. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say I am diligent. He doesn't say I know what I like. I am. He doesn't say I am destined for success in law. Or, oh, my favorite is we get this all the time. The skills that I have. Ugh. Uh, acquired fit the legal profession, or they might even be more specific. The writing and analysis skills that I've developed through my career are a good fit for the practice of law. You're like, well, first of all, you, you don't know what's a good fit for the practice of law. And now we just have to believe that you have good writing and analyzing skills. Like where everybody can do a quick control F for skills. Mm -hmm. Look for the word skills in your personal statement. That word almost guaranteed should not be there. No. Say what you did. Don't talk about the skill. Don't, don't. What is that? It's, hmm. 
I don't know. People are trying to say, well, they believe, they believe themselves. They're thinking, I'm a really good writer. I like my research and analysis. So I know lawyers have to do something like that. And I know I'm good at it. So I'm just going to tell them I have good research, research and analysis skills. So that's good for law school. Please accept me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just a plea for you're falling on the mercy of the court, basically, you know, like yeah. you should give me, you should just grant me asylum. You, you know, yeah. I, I'm deserving of asylum. Okay. Well, I've been, I've been abused. Oh, okay. So you need asylum. How were you abused? As opposed to saying that my favorite example actually comes from early on in law school. I remember someone saying to me, and I think it may have been actually after I graduated and I was working as a legal writing consultant, but the example that was given to me was, which is more persuasive? I was abused by my partner. This is like a, you know, domestic dispute case. Or my partner hit me in the face two times, you know, (laughs) or hit hit me in the nose and broke my nose. It's like, oh, okay, that's some bad shit that's going on. My partner abused me. What does that mean? I just have to believe you, right? You stick to facts. Sorry to go negative with that, but yeah. anyways, I, that, that image always stuck in my head. I was like, yeah, okay, they hit you and broke your nose. That's, we got a problem here. Uh, they abused you. What does that mean? I just now have to hear both sides of the story and try to decide, is there really abuse going on here? Yeah, lawyers win on the facts. That's something that you have said recently. So mm-hmm. rather than just stating conclusions and rather than ever saying anything in a vague way, why don't you just say explicitly just say what happened. And if you can't explicitly say what happened, then maybe this isn't the appropriate thing to be including in the statement anyway. Yeah. You have a choice what you're going to include. So if you're not including something vivid and specific and memorable, then okay, what else you got? Cause you've got yeah. your whole life full of stories, you know, to tell. I rem- Oh yeah. Sorry. I was going to say along those lines, this second to last paragraph, I still remember too, when we were going through it, I think it initially said things like, you know, this, this experience or this having the opportunity to underwrite this, um, big building led to a lot of other opportunities. And I learned a lot of things and it was like, okay, like we just have to believe you. And so then he rewrote this paragraph and it says, I earned the opportunity to work with a reputable senior banker. And then my role expanded. I began to underwrite complete transactions for all types of assets including hotels, medical office buildings, apartments, and retail developments with high-profile clients. The bottom line is here, he is he got specific, just like what you were saying, right? It's like, okay, now we don't have to believe you. You can We can start to see what you're saying, and it makes sense. And then, like you said, <laughs> he became a banker with an office on the 14th story of Cityscape. Again, it's just a fact, but you can't do that without having done a lot of other stuff. So we now believe you that you're successful. I dare the listeners out there who are still working on their personal statements. I just fucking dare you to write sentences that start with the word I and then immediately use a verb uh, that ends in ED and probably not I learned because that ends up being conclusory, right? Yep. Or and definitely not I felt. Because Mm -hmm. that has no business in this. But I reviewed, I read, I underwrote. That doesn't end in ED. I created, I started, 
you know, we need more of those type of sentences. That's what showing looks like. Yep. It's also so much easier to read. It also Mm. guarantees that we're learning about you instead of learning about someone else. Yeah. You or can some also abstract thing. <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. Or God forbid learning about lawyering. Yeah. You know, like you, the, you, you never put the word lawyers at the beginning of a sentence. I mean, that's just, I don't care what lawyers do. I don't care what lawyers are. I care who you are. That's the purpose of the document. Yep. Okay. Leave it there. Yeah. Beautiful. That was show number 168. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Cool, man. Thank you.